Well, let's open with prayer. Father, we just, um, we thank you so much for this opportunity and this privilege to be in your presence. Father, thank you for Soma Youth. Thank you for the testimonies that we've already heard tonight about your power, your goodness, your faithfulness, your attention toward us. Thank you for what you did in every one of these students' hearts at Gateway Student Conference 2018, God. Lord, I just ask that um, you would take my weak words and you would equip them with your power. Father, I don't have any assurance in my ability, but I take confidence in the Holy Spirit and in your presence in our lives tonight is, Lord, we want to encounter you and we want to go deeper in the subject and in the reality, in the privilege, in the honor of prayer that we as weak vessels get to communicate with the God that with a word spoke and everything came into existence. That we're the only creature designed with language to communicate back to you, to hear from you and have that kind of relationship. And we say that's a privilege and an honor. Speak to us around that subject tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Again, guys, it's great to see everyone. My name's Chad. I'm one of the elders here at Soma, and I get the privilege of speaking to you guys tonight on prayer. I'm really, really horrible at titling sermons, but I'm going to give you a title if you want to write something down so you can kind of remember. So it's probably good that Tamara named our boys because... I'm not evidently good at naming stuff, I don't think, but prayer, say what we see and see what we say. And then I'll kind of expound on why I titled the sermon that as I get going. But as I was thinking about prayer, and Tony's done such a great job the last couple of weeks laying a foundation for us for prayer, looking in Matthew chapter six at Jesus's model prayer, Even Jesus giving so many exhortations around those passages when he said, hey, this is how you should pray. He even told us, look, don't look like these guys. Look like this. And so even with that in mind, as I started asking the Lord what he might want to say through me about prayer this week, I started asking that question. Jesus, what are some things that marked your life in the area of prayer? What are some things that we could tangibly look at and say, when you showed up, these things were evident because if I'm looking correctly, the person that's had the most accurate prayer life with 100% accuracy, the most phenomenal prayer ministry that's ever existed, it's that man, Jesus. And so if we really wanna be excellent and grow in something, then we want to emulate someone that's the best. And that's the son of God. But he he prayed as man being just like us. We know that it says that, in fact, he took on 
the form of a man. He didn't, he didn't um, aspire to be equal with God, um, that equality with God was something that he would grasp, but he came just a little bit lesser in the form of a man, just like each and every one of us. So my question was, Jesus, what marked your prayer life? How did you show up? Because 100% of his prayers were or will be answered with 100% accuracy. And I even, I, I even as I was thinking that, I kind of challenged myself a little bit. Because if you thought about when Jesus prayed in the garden and he said, if this cup can pass from me. And so, well, was that prayer answered or that prayer actually was answered? But the answer was no. God answered that prayer. Jesus said, can this cup pass? And God said, no, it's got to be this way. And Jesus said, then I'm not going to be moved. Can you imagine if we were in a situation like that? And so what is it that allowed him to have that kind of fortitude and strength, even when he got a no from God? Because you know what I think, and this was not really going to be part of my sermon, but I want to mention this. Sometimes it throws us off in the area of prayer when we get a no from God. Because if I'm honest... I don't like being told no. I want to do it my way, when I want it, how I want it. And sometimes the answer from God is just no, because with prayer, most of the time, we're going to either get a yes, we're going to get a no, or we're going to get a hang on, wait a minute, because I'm still doing some things. But even in that place of no, you know, Paul prayed and he got a no, because he prayed three times and said, Lord, remove this thing. And God every time showed up and said, hey, Paul, my grace is sufficient You know, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. But in reality, what God was really saying was, no, I'm not going to take this, but I'm going to be with you. It's exactly what Melissa prayed just a minute ago and said, you know what? He's with us. He doesn't always take us out of those situations and he doesn't always say yes, but he never leaves because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so one of the first things that I thought about that really impacted Jesus's prayer life is the way that he saw things, his seeing. And that's why I said the title of my sermon is Say What We See and See What We Say. Because his perspective was never moved by things going on out here. Outside circumstances didn't move him off of his mission. Circumstances that were chaotic in and around him didn't cause him to stumble. Let's, let's look at a couple. I want to highlight a couple of these that are going to give us a little view into what his perspective was, what his seeing was, maybe what his point of view was. Listen to, listen to what the definition of perspective is. The capacity to view things in their true relations or relative importance. So he had ability, he had an ability to see things because whenever there were storms going on out here, he didn't look at what was going on out here. He looked at what was going on right here. And he was never moved right here because of what he saw right here. This never moved him. But see, I'm not that way most of the time. And so I have to ask the question, why do I not have the same perspective? And why am I so moved often by fear and worry and doubt and, 
anxiety and troubles and why can't I stand in that place of assurance? And I think we can, but there has to be something change about our perspective because if we don't change the way we're seeing and the way we've always done things, we'll keep getting the same results. We can't continue to view things the same way we always have because we'll keep getting more of the same. And so listen to listen in G, what Jesus was faced with. So this is when he healed the epileptic boy in Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 16. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Jesus had just come down off of the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, and they had had an amazing time, and he comes down into this situation. Now, what I want to point out, because we're talking about perspective. So in the natural, when Jesus stepped into that situation and he was approached by that father, was there anything different in the external? Was there anything different going on outside around him for him than had been going on for the disciples? The same crowd was there. The same situation was in front of him. They had the same challenges around their ministry because Jesus was already being rejected. His ministry was being resisted. So he had all of the same struggles that the disciples had. And the father says, I brought him to your disciples because I thought they could do something and they couldn't do anything. And so now he's probably beginning to wonder, Jesus, can you do anything? And and let's listen to Jesus' response. Then Jesus, Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring the boy to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast him out? And so Jesus said, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here over to there and it will, be, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing is impossible for us in prayer as we partner with God. If we are able to have the same perspective on the situation that's facing us is the way that he sees it. But for me to begin to gain that kind of understanding, I have to begin to change the way that I see myself and the way that God sees me. Really the authority that I really have. Because I know a lot of times when I approach something in prayer, I don't approach it from that place of ultimate confidence, Jesus was not taken back when they brought that boy to him. In fact, that didn't move him at all. What moved him was 
the disciples that had been with him now for some time, guys, look, learn from me. See and begin to understand why I have the authority that I have because so often prayer is not about us saying the right words. It's about having the right confidence in who God says that he is, who he says that we are. Let's turn to Ephesians. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter one. Because there was something in Christ where he had a a confidence because of the perspective of who he was. So it says in in Ephesians 1, starting in about verse um, 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one thing, both Christ, which is both both which, Christ both which are in heaven and on earth, in him also we have obtained an inheritance pre, and being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. And it goes further it goes further as we go down in Ephesians 1 and it says that God has seated Christ with himself in heavenly places. And so when Christ approached a situation that was difficult in prayer, he had that confidence that he had been seated with God. He knew who his father was and he knew he knew God's character. And so he wasn't even putting the confidence on himself. He was putting the confidence back in who God is and who he had created him to be. And we say, well, that's, that's okay because, yeah, Jesus, sure, Jesus was seated there with God in heavenly places. But, you know, is that really for us? Because we're not Jesus. And have we been seated? Do we have that kind of authority? And so if you look in Ephesians 2... Verse six, it says, and he raised us up together and he made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, but the gift of God. And then it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the reality is, if we can begin to see that correctly, we are seated with Christ in the same place, with the same authority that he has that gave him the ability to look at a situation no matter what was going on in the immediacy of that situation, he didn't let that move him. He looked back to the Father 
where he had come from, where his authority was. But this verse in Ephesians 2 tells us that we have that same exact authority. But often, I don't believe that because I'm looking at the giant that's standing in front of me instead of remembering who God is and who he says I am. So I'm more moved by my situations and circumstances. Sorry, guys, my mouth's dry. And then I want us to also look. So look in, again, another, another area where Jesus really could have been challenged by the external situations that were brought before him. Look in Luke chapter 8. And it's going to be Luke eight forty three through 48. I may back up to 40. I want to catch this too because I want us to see what's going on in this situation. Because Jesus had just come across the lake um, and everybody was waiting on him when he got back. And so it, in verse 40 it says, So it was when Jesus had returned that the multitude welcomed him for they were all there waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet, and he begged him to come into his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. So, I mean, that, to me, I would already be falling apart if I had been somewhere I showed up a big group of people rush, they're all waiting on me, and then a man brings before me a, a child that's sick and almost at death. So already, if it were me, especially if my perspective's not in the right place, I'm already falling apart. And then in verse 43, it says, now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all of her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any She came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? And we already know there's a huge crowd around him. He's being pressed in. He can hardly move. In fact, he was trying to leave to go to Jairus' house because he wanted to go to the sick daughter who was lying there in a really dire situation. And he says, who touched me? And so... When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, multitudes throng and press you, and you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me. He wasn't letting it go. He said, somebody touched me, for I, now listen to the word. Now, I'm reading New King James. Your version may have, um, it just may say, felt power go out of him. But it says, I perceived. So we're looking at perception I perceived, so I see something. I didn't see who touched me in the natural right now. I don't know who did it, but I perceived power went out of me. And so then it goes on. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, she declared to him in the presence of all of the people, the reason that she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. 
Your faith made you well. Go in peace. Because see, she had a dire situation and she went to every avenue that she possibly could in her strength and in her ability to try to get something done because this was a bad situation. In fact, it says she had exhausted all of her resources. So really, what does that mean? She was at the end of a rope. We're familiar with that statement. She had nowhere else to turn. There was something that shifted in her heart in that moment because there was a multitude of people thronging Jesus. And she wasn't the only one in that moment that had need. But she, in her heart, in faith, began to see that the man standing in front of her, he had something, but it wasn't just what she saw in him standing there. It was in the authority of who he was right here that released the power. He said, I perceive, and I believe it was because this woman began to perceive that he was even more than everybody understood that he was. And it began because her faith began to tug at God's heart and it began to release the thing that she was needing. And it gets even more intense after this with the lady because it says, while he was, okay, then we go down, she was afraid. And then when he had come, so now he's back on his journey, he's going to Jairus's house. When he had come into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the little girl. Now they all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And I want us to see in this how he was not moved by what he saw. He was only moved by what he saw in the father because it says, then even after he said that, they ridiculed him knowing that she was dead. So even, you know, I would do good if I was not moved by the really tough situation. But what about when you find yourself in a really tough situation and then your very peers in that same situation start ridiculing you, making fun of you, telling you, no, you don't know what you're doing. She's really, she's already dead. I'm really moved then because now I don't have anybody's confidence. But Jesus wasn't moved at all. In fact, he said he put them all outside. He put them, he's like, listen, I'm not gonna let your perspective change my perspective because I know who God is and I know how to approach God because that's something else that Jesus had learned. He had learned that there was a way that he could approach God to have his prayers answered. Listen to what it says and then we'll pick this back up. But it says, in Hebrews 11, one through, one through three. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. We're hoping for something and it's the evidence of something not seen. And we read the definition of perspective. Perspective was not necessarily about what you see. But, and listen to what it says, a definition of sight. Mental or spiritual perception, mental view, specifically judgment, the act of looking at or beholding. Jesus got into that situation in faith. He's looking, his, he's moved here. He's not moved by what's going on around and outside of him. And so he stands in that place because it says, for by, um, 
Now, th- now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were formed by the word of God, so that the things which were seen were not made of the things which are visible. And then listen to what it says in Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Jesus knew that faith was required, that having the right perspective, being able to see things the way that God saw things, and that if he was going to approach God, he had to do so from a position of faith, not a position of fear, not a position of doubt, not a place of worry, but he went in confidence approaching God in faith, knowing that that was, that was required to please God. And we know that he was pleasing to God. And so as he approaches God in faith, in the situation with the young girl, he finally comes and he, they had ridiculed him. He put them out. And then he said, then he, he spoke to her, he's, but he, he, he put them out of the house and he took her by the hand and he said, little girl, arise. And her spirit returned and she arose immediately. So as he's responding in, in faith, having a perspective of who he is and who God says he is, God is, God is hearing his prayers. And so that's, the second thing that we have to pray, we have to pray seeing. We have to pray seeing what God sees, not looking at all of the external circumstances going on around us. And so to do that, I have to begin to quiet myself down and I've got to begin to have confidence and belief in who God is, not my ability to change the situation. Because I don't have the strength. I don't have I don't have the power, but in him, there's all authority and power. And as I begin to pro- approach him that way in faith and then, and then believing, so listen to a couple of verses where Jesus um, actually was speaking. And he says, for assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will be done for him, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. But we have to believe that we receive them as we approach God. We, we don't approach God half-heartedly saying, well, maybe, I hope, maybe God will hear me. Because James, James talks about that. And what James says about praying that way is, he says in James chapter one, five through eight. So if we approach God and we're just approaching God in, in fear and worry and which is, I've got to be honest, that's often how I pray. I come before God. I'm not really in confidence. I'm just hoping 
because I'm not, I'm not looking at him. I've taken my sight off of him and I'm looking at everything that's going on in and around me, the turmoil inside and the turmoil outside. And so, so often as we do that, we don't see our prayers answered because we're not approaching with that right perspective in faith, believing that God is going to hear us and that he loves us. And as we genuinely seek us, that he is actually pursuing us. But listen to what it says in James chapter one, five through eight. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of a sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So it's, it's so important as we approach God that we approach him from and in a, perspective, in a position of, of faith and believing, believing that he hears us and believing that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, I was looking at the story of Elijah because those are examples of Jesus when he was um, impacted by a situation that looked very dire. That on the outside, it didn't look good. And we say, well, okay, that's okay for Jesus, but I'm not Jesus. And I've got some examples of, of John and Peter, and we can find so many examples of where men in the word, they prayed this way. But in fact, in James talking about this story, it says, so um, James referring to the story about Elijah uh, and his encounter he had prayed and the heavens were shut and drought came for three and a half years. And then he prayed again and the heavens were opened. And it's in 1 Kings 18, 41 through 46. And it says, then Elijah said to Ahab, and this again is about his perspective of what he was seeing even before it ever happened. He says, go up and eat and drink. So, and this is the guy, granted, just about three and a half years earlier, this is the guy that when the, all the activity happened on Mount Carmel, he was gonna kill him. And so now here's Elijah standing before the guy again. And before he's ever even prayed, he says, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the abundance of rain. Before he ever even prayed, how do we know that it's before he ever even prayed? Because let's see what the next sentence says. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, And then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. He tells Ahab, go and eat and drink because there is the sound of the abundance of rain. The drought is over and he had not even prayed yet. But he had such confidence in what he knew about God, what he had seen God do, the way he had seen God answer his prayers in the past that he knew in this moment God was not going to fail him. He was going to answer. And so it says, he says to his servant as he's praying, go up now and look toward the sea. So he went up and he looked and he said, there's nothing. And so seven times, and Melissa was even talking about the persistence that it takes sometimes in prayer. 
Because sometimes we may pray the very first time and we may not receive. We may not get the answer that we're looking for. But it says that he sent him seven times to go out and to look and see if anything's happening. And he came back seven times until that seventh time and he said, no, there's nothing. Then it came to pass that the seventh time he said, there is a cloud as small as the man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before. So there's just a little bitty cloud. But he immediately, again, just like he spoke to Ahab before he had ever even gone out and prayed and seen any activity in the natural. And we got to get the picture because this is a guy that if he gets it wrong, his head's going to roll. But he had confidence in who God was. And he had a perspective, a right perspective of what God was doing that he said, you know what, I don't have to wait because I know that God is going to answer. And so then on that seventh time again, before they'd even seen a drop of rain, he tells his servant, he says, hey, go tell Ahab, you better get back because if not, you're about to get rolled up because there is rain coming. There had been a drought for three and a half years, not a single drop of rain. They see a little bitty cloud, but then immediately after that, that's exactly what happened. Now it happened in the meantime, the sky became black and the clouds and wind, and there was heavy rain so that Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and he ran ahead. (laughs) I love that. I would have loved to have seen that. He ran ahead of the horses and the chariots, but he was already in faith and confidence about how God was going to respond before he ever even approached him. Because again, he wasn't moved by the situation that was going on outside of him. You know, for me, I've really had to refocus in the area of of prayer, especially uh, really this year, the beginning of this year, that was really a challenge for me because last year, 2017, honestly was a pretty rough year for me, especially in the area of fear and anxiety. I struggled really hard most all the year. And all of it had to do, every bit of it had to do with external situations. My job, a lot of it had, a whole lot of it had to do with my job. Not enough income had to do with my job. Things that Tamara and I had been walking through for a while with just even some health things that she had had going on. Some of you know a little bit of the, and just challenges we had never been faced with before. And I was shipwrecked because my perspective was so off. And it wasn't even because I wasn't praying at all, but I was looking at all of the situations and circumstances instead of having confidence and going boldly before the throne of grace and mercy where I am promised I'll receive help in my time of need. But instead of doing that, I would continue to look at the giant in front of me instead of looking at God and seeing him, seeing through the lens of the word and being able to approach in confidence, believing in faith and seeing those situations change. So let me give you 
fast forward and a little update for this year. Because really, ultimately, in the majority of my physical circumstances, not a whole lot has changed. I'm actually doing the same jobs. Um, Tamara and I are doing great as a couple, but we're still processing through hard stuff like every couple does. But you know what? This year, by and large, I'm telling you, last year, Tamara, would it be an exaggeration if a big majority of last year, um, I was almost not crippled and debilitated sometimes by anxiety? I mean, I dreaded, I dreaded waking up because I knew it was gonna be there. And I kind of didn't know how to deal with it. And I didn't know the way out of it. And you know, I can't put my finger on a lot of things that I've changed this year because again, circumstances haven't really changed that much. But one thing I know that I made a commitment and I've started doing, and I think some of it has been prompted by where we're even at as a body and firm foundation and getting back to some of the things that are very basic and elementary, crucial to our life with, with and in God. But I started setting the bookends of my day. And I made a commitment that every day I'm gonna get up and get alone with God every morning. And I started doing that and I had set a certain amount of time And I'm not trying to give you an example or a pattern and say, hey, you should do this and your troubles are gonna all get better. But I'm just telling you, I know what's working for me. So you find what works for you. But I set a certain amount of time and I said, God, I am gonna get with you and I'm gonna seek you, even though I don't really feel things changing a whole lot and I don't see anything changing really. And so I made a commitment to start doing that. And it was a really short time in that process that I've had maybe, maybe an occasional moment where I've struggled this year with fear and anxiety. But it's because I've been going before God and looking at Him and not looking at my situation. Because you know what? If I take my eyes off of Him, because let's take another external situation. Peter, Jesus is walking across the lake Peter's in the boat, storm's going on. Are they basically in the same natural elements? Did they kind of have the same stuff going on around them? Except the difference is Jesus is already walking on the water, right? And Peter looks out and man, he he takes a step and he takes a step and Peter's walking on the water. He's walking on the water towards Christ and he's doing great And then where does he trip up? What does it say happens? Does anybody know? He took his sight. He took his sight off of Jesus. He took his perspective. He stepped out of that boat on faith. Why? Because he was looking at Jesus, but I don't think he was just looking at Jesus in the natural. He locked eyes with that man and he began to see what that man was seeing. And so if, we, if Peter could do that in that moment, in the middle of a storm, and hey, those guys were fishermen, right? That's what they did for their living, right? And they were good at it. 
And they had been out on those waters before. And there was another time where they were in the boat with Jesus. And he was asleep in the bottom of the boat. And again, it's all about perspective. It's all about confidence in believing who God is, who he says that he is, that he will do what he says that he will accomplish in your life. And so Peter's walking on the water, takes his sight off of Jesus, immediately begins to sink. And Jesus reaches down and he rescues him like he so often does. That's why first John tells us, as John's going through and he's saying, hey, you know what? Basically, we don't have to live in sin anymore. But if you stumble and you sin, remember, you've got an advocate with the Father that will forgive you when you're in that place. And so often God grabs us and he redeems us and he forgives us so that that relationship stays intact because if that's ever broken, that changes. If you begin to start walking around full of shame or fear or rejection, that is going to begin to immediately impact the way that you perceive God. God's not changed, but if you're carrying that heavy burden of those things, you're gonna start looking at him. When I, was being, when I was full of fear and anxiety, every morning waking up, I mean, I would remember, I would, I would wake up, even a lot of mornings, hey, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna seek the Lord this morning. And I would get up and I would go into the living room and I would sit back down in the chair and I would just be like, I just want to fall back asleep because I don't, I cannot face what's in front of me today. And it really, I'm painting a picture that's bad and it really was bad for me, but my situation was not nearly as dire probably as I was interpreting it. But I had lost my perspective of who God was in my life because I was being dominated by an outside force of fear and worry and doubt and anxiety But when I began to break those things, when I really, I took that before God and I repented and I began to ask him to help me and I began to fix my eyes on Jesus and do something as simple as genuinely saying in my heart, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna encounter you every morning. If I do nothing else, if all I accomplish that day is I encounter you in the morning and then in the evening, I'm gonna end my day by thanksgiving and worshiping you, even if it's just for a few minutes, I've got to tell you that doing that simple thing, it's revolutionized my life because I'm beginning to see myself again, not as a fearful person, not as a person full of worry and doubt and anxiety, but I'm beginning to see myself again as a son of the living God, confident in who God created me to be, knowing that every day is a gift from him, knowing that my vocation is part of my ministry. The past two weeks, I bet I've prayed with 75% of my customers that I've met with, at least, at least. And people are hungry they will sit across the table from me, a total stranger, and begin to pour out their hearts. And then I just ask them. A lot of times that's happening while we're doing business. And then I get done and I'll say something corny because I'm pretty corny. Ask my wife. I promise she'll tell you. I'll say something corny like, hey, I'm glad that's over because now this is the really important part. And they kind of look at me funny. 
And I don't really, I don't know if they're believers or not. And I'm like, you know what? I love Jesus and Jesus loves people. And I'll just ask them, hey, do you have anything going on? Are you burdened with anything? I had a lady just um, yesterday. Yeah, my dad's in the hospital. He's got all of this going on. Her husband's sitting there too, and he's a real quiet. I bet this second time I met with him, he's real quiet, reserved in his personality. She's just, man, she's just blah, blah, blah. She's pouring it all out. This is going on with my granddad. And, and then he chimes in, and he's like, yeah. And, you know, she's like, I'm glad we're getting to go all the way up to South Carolina and see them and help my elderly parents. And, and he's like, yeah, you know, because the mom pretty much wrote her off when we got married because they'd only been married a few years. And, but you know what? And he said, hey, but God's using this to restore that situation, that relationship. And I got to pray with them, and they're just sitting with tears and it wasn't even great or eloquent, or, but I made my, I availed myself to going, as I'm sitting there, I could have only been thinking about, I need to make a sale, I need to close this deal, I need to get out of this house as fast as possible, because I don't want them to change their mind. But instead, I said, Lord, do you have a perspective? And I just, I asked her, I said, Angela, you just seem a little bit heavy is there anything going on? And she's, it just all came out. And so we have opportunities every day in that place if we first will begin to work on our own hearts, the way that we perceive God, the way that we look and approach his word, the way that we understand that he created us and have confidence in those things and not in the challenges we're facing or the failures that we, so often even our failures are things that we put on ourselves because that's one reason I was so burdened for so long is because I just, I just decided I, I, I had failed at life in general. Man, I just messed it all up. And there's no way this, it's just, it's so bad. This is never gonna get better. It's not gonna be fixed. And, and none of that was true. None of that is true, but it was my reality in that moment. And as long as I believe that reality over who God says that I am, over what his word says about me, then when I really do get in trouble and I really am challenged, I won't run into him in prayer. I'll feel distant from him. It's not because he's distant from me, but it's because the things that I'm carrying, I'm letting that, I'm letting that define me instead of who he says that I am. And so I just want to encourage us tonight that it's so crucial that when we, that we approach God in prayer, we approach him in faith, in genuine faith, and we approach him believing, believing that he does want to answer us, that he does want to respond to us, and that we have a perspective, we have a point of view that's bigger than our circumstances and situations. And I know sometimes that's super hard. And sometimes if you can't do that, I know this is something else that's genuinely helped me is I've had to enlist some other people to be able to speak into my life and to agree with me in prayer to remind me of some of these promises of who God is and who he says that I am. Because in and of myself, just on my own, I can't, I can't do it. In fact, listen to what Listen to what Jesus said about, again, sight, the way that he sees. 
He says, I speak what I've seen with my father, and you do, he was talking to a group of the Pharisees, you do what you've seen with your father. And then there was another place that Jesus said, I only speak what I hear the father speak, and I only do what I see the father do. But that was because Jesus also spent much quality time. How often do we read where he went and he got alone? In fact, the time he comes walking across the lake and intersects Peter was because he had gone up on the mountain. He had gone ahead and sent them across because he went to a quiet, solitary place to get alone with his father so that he could hear direction, encouragement, help. If that was that crucial for Jesus, the Son of God, on his mission, how important is it for us to do the same thing and to do that, to do that on a daily basis? You know, Jesus said that I am, the, I am the water and I am the bread. And I think about the children of Israel as they were on their journey. God gave them manna every day because he told the woman at the well, hey, you know what? If you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink because I'm living water. He tells the disciples as he breaks the bread, eat this bread, it's my body. But I think about the manna and God supplied the manna every single day for the children of Israel for 40 years because it sustained them. And that's a picture of who Christ came to be. And we have to remember that we have to encounter him the same way like that every single day to sustain, to sustain that relationship, but also that confidence when I find myself in those very, very trying and critical situations that I can run into him, that he knows me and that he hears me, that he's, that he's with me. And so I just, I just encourage us again tonight to, as we, as we think about our prayer life, I want you to just look and ask yourself, are there situations where you've been putting more emphasis on what's going on in that situation. Like we're praying about it, but we're spending all of our energy wrestling about either how we can fix it or just asking God just to get us out of it rather than really going and asking him how he sees that situation and how he sees us in that situation because we need to see ourselves in that situation the way that he sees us there. And then as he shows you that, that's going to cause faith to begin to rise in your heart. And that's going to cause you to begin to believe that he is hearing and he is seeing. He knows right where you're at. And that's going to begin to shift the way that you're able to pray about that situation. And then even the outcome of what that situation is. It may not be immediate. It may take time. I'm months in my journey of breaking out of some of the things that I was struggling with for, on a daily basis. And I'm having to do that every day. And I may have to continue to do that every day for the rest of my life. But wow, is that a bad thing? That the answer is seeking my father, seeking his face and getting alone with him. So I just, I wanna close in prayer. I wanna ask you guys just to stand with me.